Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to see everybody here. Who enjoyed yesterday? Who enjoyed the weather? Who enjoyed being, who went outside yesterday? Who rode on a bus for three hours to D.C. with a hundred uh, screaming teenagers to go on a field trip? Just me, okay. If you notice me limping around a little bit, it's because I went on a field trip yesterday and uh, we did a lot of walking, uh, but we did. We had a good time yesterday. It was sunny. It was nice. Everybody was out riding bikes and running and doing all that stuff. And I, I understand we had a good time here uh, cleaning up and some folks were at baseball games. It's just the, the weather's starting to turn. And on Saturday, it's going to be 50s again. So... Sorry. Um, but I do have a question for you. How many of you like the beach? Anybody like the? Okay, so a lot of people like the beach. Uh, Wendy and I love the beach. We, uh, well, Wendy loves the beach. Uh, she could sit on the beach for hours. She will walk on the beach. She hunts for seashells. She will get into the water up to her ankles. Um, <laughs> Usually because she doesn't like to be knocked over by the waves. On the other hand, the boys and I, we love the ocean. Not necessarily. We, we only like the beach insofar as we have to walk across the beach to get to the ocean. And we love jumping around and we come out at, you know, up to our uh, armpits, you know, and then we start jumping waves. And Wendy is always watching right from the, you know, her ankle depth water telling us to come back in because we're too far out, right? <laughs> So we do, we love, we love going on beach vacations from time to time. But really, if you wade out into the water, right? So you, you just kind of walk in and you're still kind of standing on the beach, right? Like it doesn't turn into not beach just because you're walking in the water. You're still walking on that sand and sometimes some really jagged fragments of uh, seashells. Maybe you'll, you'll hit a fish. Uh, my sister one time when we were younger, uh, stepped on a crab and it bit her and hang, hung onto her toe and she ran out of the ocean screaming and uh, it looked like it hurt. I, I don't know, I was laughing too hard for, uh, <laughs> to really pay any attention. <laughs> but one thing, when we, when we do go to the beach, one thing I do kind of love to do, and Wendy will tell you this, I, I love to stand there like right when, where the, the waves are coming in and I like to, to have my feet kind of sink into the sand. Anybody, anybody do that? You just kind of, and, and they sink further and they sink further. And I've gotten like all the way up to my ankles and then all of a sudden I feel like I'm, I, I got to pull my feet out because I'm going to fall over. Um, <laughs> and you don't want to see me try to get up if uh, I do fall over. <laughs> uh, but Sometimes, and, and uh, every once in a while when we go to the beach, I might walk down you know, early in the morning and I'll stand there at the water line. And I'll think about something that Jesus said to the crowds. And, and the last time we were at the beach, I kind of stood there and as I was, I was standing with my feet and I started to lose my balance a little bit, I started thinking about this, this teaching that Jesus gave us in Matthew. But this morning we're talking about building a disciple. Last week, we looked at Jesus' teaching that each of us must count the cost before 
uh, before we become his disciple. And that's the very first thing Jesus tells us to do. He doesn't say, lay the foundation. He doesn't say, build your faith. He says, count the cost. Are you going to be able to be my disciple? And we just sang one of those hymns that says, are you, you, know, are, are you going to be able to do all of the things that Jesus taught us? And he says that if we're unwilling to give up everything, including our family, including our friends, our jobs, our possessions, anything that would keep us from doing his will, we can't truly be his disciple. And once we've concluded, though, that we can, that we do want to pay that cost, that we are willing to give everything up, even if it means our death, then the Holy Spirit begins the work of building us up as disciples. And the very first step in building a disciple is the same as for building a house. We must start with a solid and sound foundation. See, when a builder starts building a house, he, he, has, to, he has to pour this concrete, this cement, because the whole house stands on it. The weight of the house, and, and houses are heavy. The whole house stands on this foundation, and if the foundation is weak, you can start facing a lot of really significant issues. Your foundation could crumble under the weight of the house. Um, it could slowly erode from underneath, and all of a sudden you've got this weak foundation. Sometimes the summertime heat will dry up the dirt underneath of your foundation and it will cause it to become uneven and to crack under the weight of the house. And one of the, the more common causes for a weak foundation, of course, is inferior quality of the materials that you're using, right? If you don't get the cement mix right, if you don't pour the, the foundation right, uh, you get to have problems. And then the other problem is that the foundation isn't dug deep enough. So we need to dig a foundation that's deep enough that we have some solid, a little bit of solid ground underneath. Because otherwise the house is going to shift and it's going to look like this. When a foundation is damaged, it can lead to a damage of the whole house. Your, your, your exterior bricks will start to break. Your doors and windows become uneven. Anybody ever have trouble opening their windows, right? Opening their doors, they get uneven. The walls start to crack, and eventually the whole house might come down under this poorly laid foundation. And a poorly laid spiritual foundation can have the same effect. It can cause damage to our lives. It can cause damage to our relationships. And just like the foundation of the house, the most common cause of a weak spiritual foundation is inferior quality materials. The things we use to make that foundation. Now, we are a Brethren in Christ church. And the Brethren in Christ church has a manual of doctrine and government. Uh, if you've never read it, it's on the website. You can see it. You can download the PDF. It is riveting reading. Uh, really, it tells us how people do everything in the church. No, actually, just read the doctrine stuff. That's the stuff that's really interesting, the government stuff. 
<laughs> the board will tell you, not, not really great reading. But in the doctrine section, the, the manual lays out these 10 core values of the Brethren in Christ Church. And the first core value, of course, is we uh, is experiencing God's love and grace, and we value the free gift of salvation in Christ Jesus and the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. We believe in being saved. We believe that we are sinners, that we need the grace of God to bring us back into a relationship with him. That's the one core, the number one core value, and that is the basis for everything else. But how do we usually find out that we are sinners fallen from grace that need the grace and the mercy of God so that we can come back into relationship with him? We find out through sermons like this, and we find out through the Bible. A lot of people might not step into a church, but they might read a Bible. And the second core value of the Brethren in Christ Church is believing the Bible. We value the Bible as God's authoritative word, study it together, and build our lives on its truth. When we take these two core values together, they create a solid foundation for our faith. They create a solid spiritual base on which we can build the rest of our lives. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 and 11, the writer uh, Paul tells us, everyone then, I skipped some slides. Um, I'll read this for you. If you want to open it in your Bibles, you can. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Paul's talking about his preaching. Paul is talking about sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ and the teachings that he gave and the words that he said. Let each one take care how he builds upon that foundation. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is our foundation. He is the one that makes it possible through his death to reconcile to God. He is the one who has shared with us and given us the teachings that we see in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that we should be building our lives on. And Jesus did a lot of teaching. If you've ever read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you know Jesus said a lot of stuff. And if you have that, the red letter Bibles, you can actually see where Jesus is speaking. But in uh, Matthew chapter 7, Jesus talks about building a life as a disciple. And he says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been Founded on the rock. And the core values that we just talked about, those are the foundations that we have of our faith in Christ. And Luke uh, wrote that we must lay that foundation on Jesus. And Matthew wrote that we must 
lay that foundation on Jesus. And Paul wrote that we must lay that foundation on Jesus. In Luke, we get an actual, actually, I like the, the, the Luke version of this a little bit better. It's a little more uh, descriptive. Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. Luke adds that descriptor of digging deep to find the rock on which to build. And when a flood rose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been built well. And this is what we do here every single week. We attempt to build our foundation, to build our spiritual house well. And it can't stop here. It can't stop with an hour and a half on Sunday mornings. We must lay the foundation on Jesus Christ. And how do we lay that foundation for a well-built spiritual house? Well, first, like we saw last week, right? We need to dig down deep and we need to count the cost. We need to think about, are we willing to give up ourselves? Are we willing to give up everything that we think is important in order to follow Jesus Christ? And we must come to that understanding that we are sinners and that only God can forgive us through the work of Christ on the cross. And then we need to build our foundation on the rock that is Jesus Christ. We've dug down deep. We've found Jesus Christ, the rock, and now we're going to pour that foundation, that cement. And the way we do that is to hear Jesus' words and to do them. And I know what you're thinking. Oh, no, the pastor's going to tell me to read my Bible again. All right, don't panic. I mean, panic, because I am going to tell you to read your Bible again. But this is the foundation. This is what we are supposed to do. <laughs> I teach a class in uh, high school. It's called Microsoft Office One. Anybody here use Microsoft Office? Did anybody take a class? Or did you just kind of figure it out as you went along? Because when, when I first started Office, I had no idea what it was. They just said, this is what we're using now, and I had to kind of teach myself along the way. Now we have classes, and I teach one in high school. And we learn Word, we learn PowerPoint, we learn Excel. These are the programs, and we learn them, and we teach them because over 80% of every um, employer in the United States uses this program. Even if you're working as a mechanic, even as you, if you're working as an accountant, even if you're working as whatever, you're going to come in contact with this program. And we want our students to be prepared to use it. And this is the textbook that we use. I was going to bring the whole textbook in, but I forgot it on my desk Friday afternoon, and I didn't feel like going back into the building, so I just took a picture uh, off of the Internet. But this is the textbook that we use. Um, and actually, in my class, we only use a, a little less than half of it. This book actually covers two classes, two courses. But it gives step-by-step -step instructions 
on what to do and how to do it. And it even gives the illustrations, right? So you can look at your screen and we're doing this. So, so say we're doing this flyer that's called Wash Your Hands and we want to uh, make Wash Your Hands capitalized. And I know you can't see it up there, but if you want the slides, I'll send them to you later. But you can see that there is a tool that we can make all of our letters uppercase. And all you got to do is click this button and click this tool. And all of our letters are uppercase and you don't have to retype them and all that. And I get really excited about teaching this to my students and, and for good reason because every once in a while I will have a student who goes, oh, I didn't know you could do that. I am so glad this is in this book. I'm glad that you taught us this. I have been retyping things for years and now I can just press a button. Wendy didn't know that. She's been working with Word for years. And we do. We actually go, we, I, give the, I give the books to the students, and I tell them you, you can either just do it on your own, right, follow the instructions, or I will walk through the instructions with the class. So I'll put the document up on the big, we have a big board um, and I've got my computer hooked up to it and we'll walk step by step and I'll show them on the screen, okay, this is where this is and this is where, click this here and you'll see this drop down and click that and we walk step by step through the process and I can tell pretty quickly the students that aren't following the instructions in the book because when they turn their work in, it does not look like what is in the book, right? I can tell that they've decided to either just to go off on their own or that they don't care and they're just going to do the work really fast and play on their phones and their computers. But we have this instruction book, this thing that shows us everything that's possible with these programs. And the Brethren in Christ core value, remember that second core value that we looked at. We value the Bible as God's authoritative word. We study it together and we build our lives on its truth. And there's a really important word here. Anybody know what that important word is? What is it? Together? Not together. Authoritative. I feel like I'm teaching my class now. This is great. <laughs> feel free to call out the answers. It's okay. <laughs> authoritative. We believe that the Bible is our authority. What that means is it gets to tell us what to do and how to do it. That's what an authority is. It tells you what you need to do. So how do we live according to what the Bible says, how do we live according to the instructions that Jesus Christ gave, the words that he gave us, if we don't read it? If we don't read the Bible, how do we live according to what it says? If we don't study it, if we don't understand it, that's why we have these classes sometimes. We're going to be talking about uh, the end times because that is such a confusing portion of the Bible is this end time stuff. And right now I think we only have like four people, but man, us four people, we're going to get down. We're going to be talking about the end times. And if you want to join us, join us on Tuesday at 6.30. But 
We are going to try to understand what the Bible is telling us. And very often, tell me if you think this is true, very often we can tell which Christians read the Bible and which Christians don't read the Bible. And they kind of go off on their own and do their own thing. Christians, um, sometimes we jokingly refer to them as bumper sticker Christians. And they practice bumper sticker theology, right? It's when we take a verse or two out of context and we make that the entire basis of our faith, right? And we see this a lot when people talk about a life verse. How many of you have a life verse? Don't be upset. I'm not saying anything bad about life verses. But how many of you have a life verse? A verse that you constantly kind of come back to. I have a life verse. I do. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 to 16. I know it's three verses, but still. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That is my life passage. I look, I, every time I go back, I turn to this passage often because a lot of times I sin. A lot of times I disappoint God and I got to turn back to this passage sometimes because there will be times, and maybe you go through this too, there will be times when I will spend a day or two days after I have sinned thinking I am not good enough, I am not, I, I, I can't, God can't possibly love me because I have committed this sin. You ever felt that way? God can't love me because I've committed this sin. And instead of just turning to the throne of grace where I might receive mercy and grace in my time of need, I don't. And I end up feeling terrible. And I have terrible thoughts. And I have just, it's, it's incredibly burdensome. But the trouble would come if instead of feeling that burden, what I did is I took that life verse and I said, well, I can turn to God anytime I want and get grace and mercy for my sins. So I'm just going to sin. And then I'm just going to turn to God and say, God, forgive me, and then I'm going to go sin again. That is not biblical. That is not the way that Jesus intends our lives to live. And if I built my life on those three verses, I'm not doing it right. Jesus tells us that we are the strongest when we do his words. All of his words. Just as importantly, he tells us how weak we are when we don't. The second half of that Matthew 7 passage says this. 
And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the wind blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. If I don't build my faith on Jesus Christ and do the words that he has told me to do, I am standing on that shoreline having the waves come across my feet and I am sinking deeper and deeper into the sand and eventually I'm going to get knocked over. That's what Jesus is saying here. You ever been in the ocean and you are trying to like come back out of the ocean and a big wave comes and knocks you on your butt? Yeah, I've had that happen. I've had it happen. It's gotten so scary sometimes that it's like three, four waves in a row, and I'm, I'm literally rolling under the water, and I can't stand up, and I can't get a breath, and I feel like I'm going to die. That's what Jesus is talking about here. If we don't do his words, we are going to fall. And our fall is going to be great. When we try to build our faith on anything other than the solid rock of Jesus Christ, our spiritual house is in danger of falling down. And when we stand before the Father on the last day to be judged along with the rest of humanity, these are the thoughts that I don't want running through my mind. If only I had counted the cost and dug deep through the dirt and the sand and the clay that is my sin-filled life, I would have found Jesus Christ, the rock, and I would have built my faith on his foundation. If I had studied the Bible and seen Jesus healing the sick, I would have known that he wants me to care for the sick. If I had read the Bible and seen Jesus feeding 5,000 people with five loaves and two bread or two fish, I would know that Jesus wants me to use my resources to make sure that no one is hungry. If I had read the Bible and read about Jesus rescuing the woman who was caught in adultery from certain death by the hands of so-called religious people. I would have known that Jesus wants me to reach my hand down, not in condemnation, but in love and help people to see who they can be through Jesus Christ. Help them to see who they can be when they go and sin no more. I don't want to be standing there in front of God thinking if I had spent more time learning the Bible and seen Jesus remove his outer coat and tie the apron around his waist and bend down to the floor to wash the feet of his disciples. 
then I would have known that Jesus expected me to be a servant to all and not to lord it over others. Not to think myself better than they are or more pious than they are or more spiritually superior than they are because I'm not. When I stand before God to be judged, I want to be able to say that I heard Jesus' words, that I did Jesus' words to the best of my ability, and that my spiritual life encouraged others to build theirs, to be strong, to be solid. I want to be able to tell God that I lived as Jesus told me and people saw Jesus in and through me. And that opened the door for the Holy Spirit to come and convict them and show them who God really is. We complain a lot about the way the world is. Anybody? No? Just me? Okay. We complain a lot about the way the world is, and we look at all the things that offend us, and we spend massive amounts of time lamenting all of these offensive things, and there's abortion, and there's homosexuality, and there's murder, and there's all of these things things that are going on that we just lament and we say, oh God, why are these things so? And then we get offended when people talk badly about Christians. And we spend so much time trying to defend our actions and the actions of the church or we retreat into the sanctuary of the church building and then don't go out and see anybody because if we don't go out and see anybody then they can't accuse us of anything. That's not how Jesus lived and it's not how he taught us to live. We need to stop complaining about the way the world is, about the evil in the world and we need to set out to make changes to change evil into good. That's what we need to do because anybody can sit behind a computer and complain on Facebook. But it takes courage. It takes bravery. It takes energy. It takes conviction to go out and live as Jesus told us to live, to take care of the people that Jesus told us to take care of, to listen to their stories to listen to what it is that they have gone through and to be able to share our own stories and say, that's not how Jesus wants it. That's not how it has to be. We need to stop taking offense at people who are criticizing us and we need to open our Bibles and try to figure out, are they criticizing us for good reason? If I don't read my Bible and I don't know what Jesus told me to do, I don't know what God has said, maybe I am doing something wrong. Maybe I am being hypocritical. Maybe I am being hateful. Never going to know if I don't pick that book up. Never going to know if I don't prayerfully consider Scripture and let the Holy Spirit teach me 
and walk me through what it is that I'm supposed to do. We need to stop praying, come Lord Jesus. And I know a lot of us pray when we see things that are bad, come Lord Jesus. Right? And instead of praying, come Lord Jesus, we need to be Jesus to our neighbors. And we need to be Jesus to our enemies. How many of us could say that we would pray, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing, instead of yelling at them for doing it? Instead of condemning them for doing it? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Talk about digging deep. I don't know if I could do it. But I'm supposed to. I'm supposed to forgive and not judge. I'm supposed to help and not use my piousness and superiority to decide who deserves my help. That's what I'm supposed to do. We're supposed to pray for our enemies. We're supposed to love our enemies. We're supposed to take care of them. And that's what this church is about. We need to leave this building today. We need to start doing the words of Jesus. We need to stop being offended. And we need to start being loving. And it ain't easy. but it is the foundation of our faith. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for this congregation, these people that come here and have the desire to worship you, have the desire to learn your word, have the desire to minister to one another, to minister to our neighbors. Father, help us to dig deeper. Help me to dig deeper. Give us the strength, give us the ability to love instead of condemning. To help whoever needs help and not to judge whether they're worthy of it. Because Father, none of us are worthy. Father, forgive us for our sins. And thank you for sitting on the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace at your feet. Father, help us to remember every person on earth needs that mercy and that grace. Thank you, Father. Amen. This morning we're going to be taking communion. And we do have quite a, quite a few new folks here. Um,
In the Brethren in Christ Church, uh, we take communion uh, on a regular basis. For us, it's the first Sunday of every month. Uh, and we invite you to take communion. The Bible does say to examine ourselves and to pray, to ask forgiveness for our sins and to make ourselves worthy to take communion. One of the things that I want to share with you this morning is that sometimes we take communion and we become worthy because we realize and we remember and we understand what communion is. Communion is the body and blood of Jesus Christ that was broken for us and spilled for us on the cross. Communion is remembering that Jesus Christ came to the world with one specific purpose, to die, so that we might live, so that we might know God's grace and God's mercy. I want to encourage you to remember those things this morning. Don't make this just a once a month ritual. This is what we always do. Think about the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made. Think about the life he lived. And realize that he did what he did for every single person on earth. We're going to take a moment to silently pray. And then the deacons are going to come up to serve communion this morning. Jesus allowed his body to be beaten and dragged and flogged and nailed to a cross because he knew that was the only way that we could be reconciled to God the Father. Every time we eat this bread, we should remember the work that Jesus Christ did from the garden to the cross. We should thank him. He has provided us a way back to God. Body of Jesus Christ. As Jesus was flogged, as Jesus had a crown of thorns beaten onto his head, as his hands and his feet were pierced, after he died and his side was pierced, his blood was shed so that we might know the Father. Every time we drink this cup, 
we should remember the blood that flowed from Jesus so that life could flow into us. Blood of Jesus Christ. Precious Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for sending your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for his sacrifice. We thank you that as he knelt in the Garden of Gethsemane that night, that he said, your will be done. That he carried out his mission on earth so that we might know you. Thank you, Father. Amen. God has blessed me in a lot of ways, but I got to tell you, I stopped singing after about 10 seconds and just listened to y'all sing. And that was one of the greatest blessings that I've had in a while. Listening to you worship our Father it was beautiful. And I want to thank you. I also want to encourage you. Don't just sing how great is our God. Show people how great God is through your life, through your actions, through the things that you do that Jesus has taught us to do. If you have not yet signed up for the uh, end times study this week, please come and see me before you leave today. Um, and uh, we'll see those of you on Tuesday. Everyone else have a blessed week. We will see you next Sunday. God bless you.